0: And welcome back to Aligning America. I'm Vincent. And let's jump right into things. So let's talk about some world news real quick. I, I know this is a Aligning America. I understand that it seems a bit off-topic to go into some foreign elections, some foreign politics, but I think it's important. I think there's a lesson to be learned, to be to be understood, uh, in this recent election down in New Zealand, an often-forgotten country that has a wildly progressive uh, parliament. They're a parliamentary system where the government is elected by the people. The executive branch is based around the legislative branch, who is, you know, elected representatives that then choose. They form coalition governments that are then uh, implored to choose a leader. That leader is then, of course, the prime minister, and they work closely with the legislative branch to push through policy. Politics is is very easy um, in the parliamentary system. Uh, very how do you say, compromise enabling, it's it's very much built in a way so that things can get done. Um, so recently there was an election, the Labor Party, which is, for those who don't know about foreign politics, the Labor Party is what we would classify in America the progressive left, the Bernie Sanders, even left of Bernie Sanders. Uh, progressives, Democrats, um, left-leaning for those at home. It's, it, w- it was a, an important election, not because uh, she was reelected, elected Jacinda, she, she easily, easily held on to her seats, uh, the Labour Party actually exploded in seats. We saw the greatest positive referendum on a leftist government in many, many years, especially after watching Labour in England get absolutely destroyed this past uh, election there. This was important because while Jacinda and the progressives and the, the Labor Party there have now enough seats to hold a government by themselves, they do not need to make a coalition government, they do not need to make compromises, they can push through their agenda entirely of their own, but it also highlights something incredibly important. That being, this upcoming election in the United States, and I think many foreign elections that are, the, you know, upcoming foreign elections, they will be decided, as a coronavirus handling referendum. Why do I claim this? Why do I believe this is true? Because politics, while people change their mind, you know, obviously, people change their mind. Uh, New events, new new courses taken in, in politics can change ideas. They can change the national Overton window on certain problems, certain issues, but an overwhelming, overwhelming shift towards labor away from nationals, shift to labor, green and the I think the the native party won one seat as well. These left leaning, it it doesn't matter who's in power. All that matters is that they are in power and depending on how they did with this coronavirus handling, this is, it it becomes a referendum on how well they did because coronavirus, I think we can all agree, COVID-19 has entirely dictated the lives of most people, if not all people for the past many months. Um, it is a constant reminder in day-to-day life, the way we are living, the way we are acting, the things that we are doing, these uh, plans that we had scheduled, trips, school, work, everything, is thrown off balance by coronavirus, by COVID-19, and I think the handling in New Zealand was obviously the best you could get. They were an island nation of high tourism, but easily combat, you know, you can easily shut down tourism, you can easily close off the country. Um, When you're an island nation like that, with a very science forward, they have the Green Party, who's a a party, you guessed it, based around, um, based around largely around issues of of progressives, but but focusing really on on uh, climate change, global warming. It's it was a very, ob- I mean, it's, it's rather obvious to look at their national politics that they're just a more left leaning country in general. Um, does not make it better or worse for the record, just means that it's different, and they're very science-minded. They do not have an evangelical wing nearly as prominent as we do in the United States, who outright denies science, and I think that makes a big impact on how the general population acts when confronted with issues like national health and security by, you know, imposing restrictions on oneself voluntarily to get over a virus, mask wearing being the, the most prominent. Uh, Social distancing and and reckless behavior, of course, is is a large part of it, too, but mask wearing, social distancing, these these things, they were followed very strictly, um, of course, aided by the fact that the government is running an island country that is largely non-trafficked, and on top of that, it's also a very... Statistically speaking, less uh, is more sparsely populated than most countries. It's the same with Sweden. It's why they they never even had a lockdown, which is an interesting fact that not a lot of people know. Um, they they never had to lock down because there are not enough Swedes in Sweden to commonly transmit the virus. And that's just I mean that's that that is not an indictment of any other country. Simply stating, New Zealand, while it shows a radical shift to the left supporting the party, that isn't because people are changing their minds saying, hey, you know what, I actually believe in the you know, the deprivatization of industry or, or, or anything like that. That's not the point that should be the takeaway here. I believe that it is firmly a re-election on uh, a national referendum on the fact that the coronavirus was handled incredibly well there. They no longer wear masks. They no longer have to socially distance. It's because they've succeeded. They've beat the virus. That doesn't mean it can't you know, be reintroduced and re-spread, but for the most part, it's not an issue. Jacinda Ardern, as a political figure, is rather polarizing, um, but not in the way you'd expect. It's not because she's a woman. I know that's polarizing here in the United States. It's not because she's a far leftist. I know that's polarizing here in the United States. It's rather that her actions as a national leader, the federal powers exhibited during the coronavirus lockdown in New Zealand, seemed a bit overreaching at the beginning. Um, and I think many Americans understand that many Americans, <laughs> other, other you know, Americans tend to believe that is the case, that the government should not have that outreach. And I also um, personally believe that the government should not have incredible outreach into private lives. With that said, I think Jacinda, what she's done, She's shown that executive time, you know, executive power in a time of crisis is not only necessary, but it it succeeds. And when that success allows people to return to normalcy, I believe they hit a 10% market loss in New Zealand. Uh, It's now on its way to recovery. I I have to believe that, as someone who is still in the middle of a pandemic lockdown, who Yes, people go outside to eat. People go out to do these things, but we we can't gather in large numbers. We can't safely secure the lives of you know teachers or, or you know people who go to work. We we can't. We do not have a true level of security. We have small luxuries that can be taken if if sa- done safely with precautions. They can be taken and and largely do not have a risk. That said, it it it's an incredible feat of. It is an, ex- an exceptional feat of executive power to properly and, and quickly and decisively use that leadership to solve a national issue on a global scale, rather, but an, an issue in one nation. Jacinda truly proved that, wow, yes, I mean, it. I, I don't also believe the allegories that she is some sort of dictator, that she is some sort of fascist, that, um, of course, many world leaders are facing these days just due to executive powers being necessary for these these coronavirus handlings. But I I believe Jacinda had done the right thing. I believe that when it comes to the safety of the people, there are precautions that need to be taken. And when you have science backing you up, I do not believe you can endanger your your you know the the liberty and life of the people. I believe there's only good that can befit during a, a national pandemic from national intervention. Be that subsidies on workers so they can stay home, be that you know forceful lockdowns that keep people... Now, of course, I'd like to immediately interject on this train of thought, there are obviously inhumane examples of this happening. Um, the number one being China. There were reports, and of course, none of this is perfectly corroborated, but there were reports of them locking people inside their own homes to ensure that they, you know, literally locking the doors and not letting people out to contain the virus. Of course, now they claim that it is entirely virus-free in that country. No one has any, you know, true way of knowing that. We, We can only trust their state media, which is a difficult thing to stomach. But I believe that executive overreach had not been achieved in most countries, in most states across the globe. China is one example of, of possible inhumane treatment of, of its own citizens, though that's not a surprise, nor is that anything new. But I think Jacinda's use of executive action is the perfect balance. I believe, yes, it was drastic measures taken at a time that did not think... we, we None of us believed that the coronavirus was going to capitalize on everyone's lives like this. This was not the the outcome any of us had expected. With that said, I think decisive action early is important. I think this highlights this whole crisis. highlighted we can see the good and we can see the bad we can see what happens when you let it run rampant when 200,000 people plus die and you can also see what happens when you safely and securely keep your country in check when you use the powers given to you by the people in that social contract to borrow words from my political science class when you use that social contract efficiently and effectively to put the interests of the people in front of them, to show them that yes, you're, you're, you're not gonna be able to go to a party for four weeks. You're not gonna be able to go outside and hang out with friends for four weeks. You're gonna all need to stay inside. We're all gonna need to wear masks. We're gonna have a national shutdown. It seems drastic, sure, but in hindsight, wouldn't we all prefer that? Is there an American out there that that would rather have the virus going on right now? Is is this better than losing your right to party for four weeks? The Beastie Boys may disagree, but I myself, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the American people, if you held a you know a general referendum vote on it right now, we would have rather gone down a New Zealand type lockdown than the American struggle and quagmire that we continue to waddle through as, as toddlers who don't seem to understand that it's our health being put at risk by our own deranged actions. And I think, all things considered, the national pandemic has highlighted the efficiency of executive action when it is done correctly. Moving on to another topic, let's jump right into some American politics, good old-fashioned red-blooded American politics, starting with a Republican fracture. What do I mean by that? I think uh, some people who are in tune may know this, some may not, so I think it's important that we highlight this. Senator Ben Sasse from Nebraska recently had uh, a bit of a fallout with President Trump over, over a number of things, but I think... Instead of getting into that that specific story, I think it's important that we highlight something that's that's actually quite an interesting prospect as we move forward. What we're seeing is Republicans of all stripes—Romney, the governor of New Jersey, uh, even even to some true, you know, entirely devoted Republicans like John Cornyn from Texas. Of course, very popular for his his uh, public statements on on gun control and especially during the pandemic on executive action. And I think. People like these three. I'm I'm going to call attention to these three. The senator from Nebraska, the senator from Utah, the senator from Texas. These are three, as you'd imagine, very Republican men. These are Republican senators through and through. What is interesting is, is watching the fracturing Republican Party, not the base... Not, I, I think the voter base remains largely strong. While we've seen a, a blue wave shift to the left, I think, largely speaking, the base is still intact. It's still the working white collar, uh, or rather, blue collar white worker. I think this is that th- that won't change. What will change is interesting because I think people like Romney, outspoken, you know, he was he was even during the impeachment trial all the way back then. If you guys can even fathom that was this year. He was vocally opposed and, and voted for impeachment. He was vocally opposed to to Donald Trump and, and most of his actions. I think Ben sauce and, and and Trump right now, having a little spat on Twitter, having a little you know disagreement over policy, over how things should be done, handling of the virus, all of this, and especially economics, all of this just goes to show you that I think, as we get dangerously close to the 2020 election, and I truly mean that, it is closer than any of us think. As of today's recording, it's 16 days out. There's the the Sunday before that it, it releases. We are 16 days out, which is just unfathomable to me. I can't believe it snuck up on me like this, and I think a lot of people don't realize it. But it's so close, and this. This sort of rats abandoning ship mentality that a lot of Republican senators and, and officials seem to have right now is horrible for Trump. This paints so poorly, especially on a national stage when you've got this this national referendum on Trump's personality. He's a very divisive person, along with his handling the coronavirus. I think it's it's. It's going to be a difficult election for him. He has the incumbent advantage, but I don't know if it'll be enough to carry him, especially with his public approval rating so low. Watching establishment, Bush-era Republicans push back against this populist Trumpian rhetoric, it's 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 got to be scary for for Trump, and I think he he's got to be worried because. Looking at people, and and you can argue over whether it's the decency of the, you know, the quote-unquote decency and nobility of early, you know, Bush, Republican, Romney-style, older gentleman, that type of man. You could argue whether that sort of senator is, is what just is the natural antithesis to Trump, but I don't think that's the case because we've also seen people like Justin Amash break from the Republican Party and go independent and then successfully hold their seat with with some degree of national uh, approval, I think people who break with Trump are widely considered to be popular because they have the refuge of the left, and I think that is dangerous. The minute the left allows the right to bleed into them, I think Trump is in, in trouble. Because if you recall back in 2016, I, this is not placing blame for the record, but it, we had the Bernie or bus movement. We had the progressive left stick its nose at centrists and say, I don't want to. I don't want to eat it. It's, it's not, you know, the broccoli won't be touched. That, you know, we, we, we've come full circle and now they want to eat a vegan salad because we're, we're watching the Democrats rally around a centrist, you know, hold their nose and say, you know what, it's fine we will do it and then we're seeing Republicans cross party lines to make it happen we saw the New Jersey governor vote for Ronald Reagan of all people uh, he's he's dead for the record um, we saw him vote for Ronald Reagan just because he couldn't stomach voting for either Donald Trump or Joe Biden I assume it is is some sort of message saying I want a Reagan era figure back that said while it is a bit childish of a stunt he, he makes a good point to other Republicans when your leadership, when the party leadership fractures like this, when you've got people either going to independent or wanting to, you know, side with Democrats more and more often, or you're you're getting publicly denounced like Ben Sasse was today, getting publicly denounced by Donald Trump for his actions, I think... When you have this sort of fractured leadership, it makes it difficult for the people to rally around anybody. Because, yes, we, we saw how, how easily Donald Trump went from berating Ted Cruz to having Ted Cruz at his rallies. But it doesn't mean that that we're going to see that sort of unification immediately. That took weeks and weeks after a, a very you know rough primary. But he doesn't have that kind of time. We're watching this fracture now, and we're watching the effects, the after effects of Romney going against Trump and publicly denouncing things that the president does. We're seeing that happen at the same time that Trump can't even remember. He can't even bother to remember his own allies' names he called. Republican uh, Congressman Matt Gates he called him Ricky Gates because he couldn't care he he couldn't care less honestly he doesn't want to know his name he doesn't need to know his name because all the sycophants come to him and when he when you see this sort of leadership struggle because it it can't hold on to its real allies and replaces them with allies who either have one none of the political clout or two none of the political experience none of the fundraising aptitude none of that it's it's, it's a dangerous replacement, and I don't know if the incumbent status is going to be enough. I don't think that the Republican Party can hold itself together long enough to get this through. While that is being said, however, I do believe they will still nominate a new Supreme Court justice. I don't think that's going to change. But I think post-election, if, you know, of course the, the polls are always iffy, but if the projections are true, the Democrats will have all three houses. And that's really, really, really bad for Republicans. That's we haven't seen that since the 2008 Obama and Obamacare got passed. That's their, you know, the antithesis of the Republican Party right now. And I, I can't imagine that this is worth any of this antics. Any of these antics are worth, you know, risking their own political existence if if Biden gets in and and you know while I, I don't prescribe to the fact that I think Harris will be running the term, I do believe he will be pressured by the progressives in the party. I, I think, especially with a VP like Harris, you could see something like monthly payments from the Kamala Harris wing of, of the Democratic Party. You could see a, a UBI-styled uh, coronavirus handout every month, every two months. You could see more progressive policy. You could see, if it's true, that they passed their own version of it. It's not the Green New Deal, but it's a very similar plan. If they pass that, In legislation if they rejoin the paris accords which really means nothing but it does improve standing on the the global scale if if all these things come to fruition and and the republican party takes a a loss after a loss after a loss i can't imagine what will happen because the political future of the republican party either lies in deeper deeper trumpism or a return to bush era republicanism and i don't know if either is going to work quite frankly because the pragmatism of bush era neoconservative governing is not appealing to a base that has been energized and galvanized for the past four years under a a TV show host, under a man with great charisma, but with absolutely no aptitude for politics. I don't think they're going to want to return, they're not going to want to come off down from the high. And the minute they lose, it's going to be a crash that I'm not sure they'll be able to deal with. So I think they will return to Trumpism, and I think we're just going to see, perhaps not Trump, I think he will be a bit too old but either one of his children or a close political ally. And I don't know if that's going to work either, because I think Donald Trump's going to leave a bad taste in a lot of Americans' mind. Uh, That aftertaste of a Donald Trump presidency, if if he is indeed voted out, all everyone's going to remember is 2020. 2016 and 2020. 2017, 2018, 2019, not important. 2020, however, we're going to remember coronavirus, every single one of us. And we're going to remember the 2016 you know, shock of, of his victory. So I can't imagine standing where he stands now, where the Republican leadership in the party stands now. I don't know the future, but it does not look good if Donald Trump cannot hold on this election. And he's got 16 days to make it happen. And I don't know if it will. For this final section, I think we're going to talk about mail-in ballots slash absentee ballot voting slash early voting, because I think there's some important things that we need to call attention to during these, these, while it is a time of crisis, a national crisis, I think it's important to realize the evolution of the American voters' psyche, because there is something very, very interesting. It is the perfect storm for something very, very interesting going on right now, and I think it's going to change the American voting system for years and years and decades to come, and it very well may change the way that the nation functions as a whole, because we could see an entire shift in the uh, political spectrum of the American people based on the accessibility of voting, and the amount of people who vote. What do I mean by that? Well, I'd like to call your attention to places like Alabama, South Carolina, Texas, Ohio, to name a few, Georgia as well, to name a few. What we're seeing in these states is is nothing short of incredible, and I think it is because of two factors. One, this is a polarizing election. Two, the coronavirus. The fact that we are seeing an enormous, an inordinate amount of votes pouring in nationally speaking and specifically in red states, early voting, mail in voting, absentee voting. We're seeing this voter empowerment across the nation. And I think everyone in the United States should be excited, they should be happy, they should be elated to find out that more people are voting because more and more Americans are exercising their right, they're using uh, their, their right as citizenship to vote. They're, they're voting. The voice of the American people is going to be heard on a scale not seen before in the modern era. I think everyone should be dancing around at this fact, because the fact is, at this time in 2016, we had 6 million, 6 million, count them, 6 million votes already cast. That is a lot of people voting when the election is not for you know more than two weeks. As of today, as of this recording, There were more than 22 million votes, nationally speaking, that have already been cast. 22 million. What does that mean, ramification-wise, for national politics? What does that mean, on the whole, to the average American? Well, immediately means nothing. But if you take a second to think about it, people who found that they couldn't go to vote normally because of either corona you don't want to stand in the line. I understand that entirely. That's that's an entirely valid argument to you know protect yourself and protect others. Two, it's becoming more accessible. And it, it has become an issue for the Republican Party because they are starting to realize that the more voter enfranchisement there is, the larger the issues are for them. Because as we all know, I don't think there's a Republican or a conservative who will disagree with me as the whole... Based on literal population, there are more progressives and leftists and liberals than there are conservatives or right-wing evangelicals. That is not an argument, that's a fact, and I I can show you the numbers to prove it in the last general elections for the past, you know, at least the few decades. Ever since Reagan, I I would want to gander. Looking at that now, looking at more people voting. What does that mean in in states? Because, of course, we all know that you waste your vote in California, man. You're voting, you know, there there are some 2 million people that are just wasting their vote because it's going to go blue anyways. What does it matter if you vote another, if there's another Biden on top of, you know, 10 million Biden, who cares? That's true. I mean, quite literally, that is true. You are not changing the national uh, delegation. during the presidential process, you're not changing the numbers for either of them other than the big number that goes on top when you're watching CNN. With that said, for people in Alabama, for people in Georgia, for people in Texas, for people in Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio, swing states and conservative states that are rapidly becoming more industrialized, you know, not industrialized because that seems a little insulting, but but places that are becoming more surrounded by a city life aesthetic for people who are are focusing more on, you know, no longer is, is the days of the rural vote being the pinnacle of the Midwest because there are cities, and as, as continued modernization and, and, and urbanization all across the country and the globe, we're seeing more progressive votes. We're seeing more liberal votes, and, and that will be a problem for the Republican Party as it, as it stands going forward. What does that mean you know, to the layman, what does that mean to, to anyone who, who doesn't follow politics and is, as some sort of maniac would want to do? Um, it, it's quite simple, quite frankly. We can see in the next few years, much like Colorado used to be a swing state, we can see that change. We can see Colorado turn, it, it turned purple to blue, and I think it will stay blue for the foreseeable future. I think we, we saw it go purple to blue, and I think we can see states go purple to blue, like Pennsylvania... If it is indeed true, while they are trying their are very hardest to make sure that people cannot vote with the the ballot system, because their their mail-in ballot system is absolutely convoluted, uh, it requires two two ballot uh, folders. The, it is incredibly difficult to understand, and it requires multiple stamps. It's it's not a very accessible system. With that said, places like Pennsylvania, the more people who vote, who who you know. Theoretically wouldn't before elders who don't want to expose themselves to coronavirus younger people who don't want to have to go waste their time at the polls That though those are the people that are going to probably be voting Democrat now elders of course do lean conservatively but I think people who are going to vote for Trump have the um, The drive per se to vote for Trump regardless of the conditions. There are many a Democrat older Older Democrat, middle-aged Democrat, younger Democrat, who are, are just going to stay in bed. They'll stay in bed, because who cares about Biden or Trump? They're, neither of them are particularly appealing to them, so they won't bother, because they don't want to spend two hours at the polls. That's a waste of their time, in their opinion. Because, what you know, what does one vote matter anyways? That's always their—that's how they console themselves. That's that's the loser's fallacy, because every single one of those people, if they all voted their own conscience, it's very famous that if undecided had been an option during the 2016 election, undecided would have won quite easily. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton would have lost, because so many people do not vote in the country, that the more you inf- you know, enfranchise, not disenfranchise, but make sure that these people can vote, you're going to see... A dramatic shift to the left, and I and I hate to say it, but I, I don't know how the Republican Party will survive in the modern era if they do not adapt. What do I mean by adapt? Well, I would look to other countries that have very accessible voting systems, where you see everybody vote, I see Canada. I see Canada as a very close allegory to the United States. They're a close country geographically. They also have similar cultures and customs. It's not a stretch to say that we're just Canada from 30 years prior. And if that's the case, we could expect a Republican Party that looks a lot like their Tory Party, um, their Conservative Party. I believe the Tories are from England. I apologize. Um, the Conservative Party in Canada is not. Anti-universal uh, healthcare. They they are far more left. They're left on some issues than the Democrats in the United States. It's a bit a bit sad for the Democrats in the United States to be outflanked to the left by the right wing of Canada. Um, that said, I have famously said it before And I think everyone should understand this The United States is very, very Right-wing compared to nas- or International politics it's, it's quite interesting So to see a national shift to the left With voter enfranchisement You can see a more similar Cultural alignment to that of Canada or New Zealand Or, Aust- well, maybe not Australia But you, you catch my drift, you understand what I'm getting at The driving point is we could we we could essentially force the hand of the right wing, the conservative wing of the United States to move to the left. And when that overturned window is moved, we would see policy actually implemented. We would see no no longer would there be the anti-Obamacare ads. No longer would there be a push against universal health care. There would be a national push for it. So this enfranchisement of voters in swing states and conservative states, Texas famously being nicknamed the most difficult state to vote in. Um, Watching these states, and for the record, if Texas by some miracle votes blew this upcoming election, we're gonna see a dramatic shift in the national politics because it will no longer be, oh, I wonder if we can, if you know, if the right can get away with this, if the left can get away with this. It's gonna be let loose the hounds of of democracy because we're gonna watch the liberal Democrats move left and left and left and left, and we're gonna see their older, more old guard Democrat Blue Dog Democrats from the '70s and '80s. We're gonna see them voted out quickly. And, and efficiently, because we're going to realize. I think. I think people will realize that the Overton window will have shifted, and there will be a push towards a Bernie Sanders-style democracy that that will also likely involve some very fundamental changes to American democracy, which of course need to be debated and need to be well understood by the general public at large. But I think we, you know, as the American people, do need to understand that there will be changes coming. There will be things that you know i think we may not even expect so i would just be on the lookout i would be i would concern yourself with these these changes that i think a lot of people will overlook i think we will the national media will write it off as enthusiasm but i think honestly and and quite quite honestly from from my own personal opinion i think the more people who vote the more enfranchisement that that is achieved in these, these states, and that's a word I want you to remember, the more people who are voting and exercising their rights as Americans, the more American the American elections get, I think the farther left we will move. And I think that's an important thing for people to remember, especially, especially the number one person who needs to remember this is the Republican Party, because... Both parties, actually. I think the Democrats need to keep an eye on it, too, because people like Tom Perez are going to be resistant towards an actual populist left movement, a progressive left movement that I think will endanger him and his friends. But all things considered, I think the right wing is going to need to prepare themselves. Not for a civil war. This is not an incitement. This is a prepare yourself to have an open mind and prepare yourself to, you know, do not resist. Do not... I would never say do not resist the change, what I would say was be ready for a changing national discourse, and I think everyone needs to, because if Biden wins come 2020 and these people realize they can vote as soon as the virus is gone, they're still going to vote. When they realize how easy it is, when you're already registered, they're going to vote, because they're going to remember winning in 2020. So. Like 2016 was a a referendum on career politicians, 2020 is going to be a referendum on coronavirus. And it's highlighted internationally, it's highlighted nationally, and it's highlighted by the weakness of the ruling party here in America. That I think everyone needs to be prepared and, and fully comprehending before we move into election day. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.